Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey guys, it's Christine Garvin, and I'm here today doing a solo show because I wanted to share with you something that I think is hugely important for your hormone health, and it's something that I've talked about on here before and have definitely brought up with guests, and if you've ever heard me uh, be interviewed on another podcast, I've definitely talked about this, and basically it's something that I kind of developed myself because I recognized in my studies and in working with clients that these three areas of your body, it is essential to work on all three of them in order to improve your hormone health. You don't work on all three of them. If you just kind of focus on one area, it's not, you're not going to get to where you want to go. Particularly those of you that are getting into, you know, your mid thirties and heading into perimenopause. Um, these are essential to work with. And so I developed a name for them. And because we have so many axes, or axes that happen in our body. And we're going to talk about um, so one of the biggest ones here today. But because we are thinking about these systems that are interconnected with these axes, feedback systems, really these three things that are essential to your hormones, I think of as uh, feedback systems, um, feedback loops, which means they essentially kind of work together and talk to each other in lots of ways. And that is your gut health, your liver health, and your, what I like to call stress, but we're really specifically talking about the adrenals when we talk about stress. So gut, liver, stress axis really comes down to what's happening in your gut, the microbiome, leaky gut, all the good stuff that goes with that. And then your liver health, which is really when we're talking about hormones, we're talking about how well your liver is detoxifying estrogen. Yes, your body has to detoxify estrogen or it's going to be essentially poisonous to you. Um, and levels get high when it's not properly detoxed, recirculates in your system, causes all kinds of problems from PMS, PMDD to fibroid cysts, etc. And then we have the adrenals which is, uh, I call our stress uh, focus part of the axis because adrenals are what handle our stress. Like that's the front line of dealing with stress that we encounter every single day. And so I'm actually going to begin with the adrenals today and telling you exactly how and why they are connected to, um, to your hormones and why you have to really look at your adrenals almost first. It's one of the first things, say when I have a client and we do a hormone test because hormones are, you know, out of, out of whack for them. Um, one thing I love to do is a hormone test that includes a four point cortisol test. And I'll explain here what cortisol is in a minute, but that's going to tell us 
how your adrenal function is throughout the day from morning to night. And we actually look at that first and support that system first. Not saying that you won't look at the estrogens and the progesterones and the testosterones and work on leveling those out, but you absolutely have to support those adrenals if anything's really going to shift around your estrogen and your progesterone. So I'm going to explain to you the how and why of that today. And then I'm also going to tell you um, five things that you need to do to help support your adrenals. And they're the underlying absolutely have to, cannot do without uh, things that you have to do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So buckle in. Hopefully you'll get some really good information from this. So I'm going to begin with the sciencey stuff to just, um, I think it's important to understand to a certain extent what's going on in your body so that at least for me, that gives me a chance to understand my systems and um, exactly what's happening. Because if somebody just says to me, well, you know, stress really impacts your adrenals and that's not good for your hormones. Well, why? Why is that not good for your hormones? What, what is going on? How are my adrenals and my hormones connected? I don't really get it. So we're going to start at the top because really all of these things go back to the top. Everything in your hormonal cascade goes back to the top. Everything in your endocrine system goes back to the top. And so the top is your hypothalamus and your pituitary glands in your brain. So for those of you watching this on YouTube, I'm going to share a photo here. Um, I'm going to find it. I'm going to share so that you can see what, um, where these glands are in your brain, because I think it's very helpful to, to be able to see that. So I'm going to share my screen here, and now you should be able to see it. So this is where your hypothalamus is located, that little front stem of your brain. And then hanging down here is the pituitary gland. So for those of you that, uh, those of you, excuse me, that are listening on the um, podcast and don't see this, it's basically kind of um, not the very front of your brain, like in front of the forehead, but kind of underneath that. So if you think maybe like kind of above uh, your jaw, um, kind of closer to the eye back there. And so this is the epicenter of function for your endocrine system. So it's epicenter of function for your hormones. Let's just keep it simple like that. So it's very, very, very important. A lot of times we think, okay, well, especially as women, we're like, things are happening in our ovaries. That's where we feel it. That's where, you know, all the, the stuff is going down. But really your ovaries are reacting to what the hypothalamus, first and foremost, control center number one, because your hypothalamus is what tells your pituitary which hormones to release to trigger estrogen and progesterone and testosterone to be released in your ovaries. So we're going to talk about that on another day. That is one of the axes. Remember I was talking about like there's all these different axes in our bodies. So one of the big axes for, um, for women um, is your hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian axis, right? Because they all communicate. Ovaries can't do their thing without like word coming down from essentially your hypothalamus, but via your pituitary. 
Today, we're going to talk about the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So I'm going to show you a picture of that. If you're watching it on YouTube, let me find my little picture here. Where did you go? There was a guy that I just had and now I can't find him. Oh, here he is. Okay. So I'm going to share the screen here. Okay. So this is my guy. Tried to find a woman. I didn't have a woman. So going back to the hypothalamus up here in your brain, and the pituitary is that little hanging thing kind of in front of the hypothalamus. And again, these are glands. And the hypothalamus will talk to the pituitary, and the pituitary will talk to your adrenal glands. And so your adrenal glands are located right above your kidneys. And they're really small. They're like the size of, I think, a Brazil nut or some kind of nut. <laughs> um, I believe people refer to them um, as being the size of a Brazil nut, but I could be wrong about that. So as you can see on this little guide here, your hypothalamus, again, talks to your pituitary gland. Your pituitary gland releases what is called um, ACTH, and that stands for, I'm horrible at getting um, this said correctly, but I'm going to try my best. That's why I like they, they call it ACTH. It's adrenocorticotropic, adrenocorticotropic. The big words get me every time, you guys. Um, so I like that they call it ACTH. That is the hormone that the pituitary gland releases to tell the adrenal gland to release either cortisol or um, epinephrine or norepinephrine, and excuse me, norepinephrine. And those are just fancy names for adrenaline. And then nor like the, the thing that stops adrenaline from going. Um, which is norepinephrine. So um, that's what is going on here kind of consistently. Your hypothalamus is talking to your pituitary. Your pituitary is talking to your adrenals via the ACTH hormone. And then the feedback loop comes from your adrenals letting, I'm going to stop this here, letting your hypothalamus know like we're good. We got the message we're releasing the cortisol or the adrenaline, depending on the situation. And the hypothalamus says, cool, pituitary, you can stop releasing that ACTH because the adrenals told me that it was good. So that's how the feedback loop is happening. If the adrenals are not responding properly by not releasing, say, enough cortisol or adrenaline, then the hypothalamus is like, gets the message. And is like, hey, pituitary, you need to like crank up the amount of ACTH um, so that we can get the adrenals releasing what they need to release. So this is how the feedback loop happens, right? So constant communication throughout the day. So some people think um, we only have cortisol released when we're under stress, and that's not the case. We do have uh, a circadian rhythm of cortisol. So your cortisol should actually be highest First thing in the morning, you wake up, ready to get out of bed. That means your cortisol is doing well. That is not everyone. That is definitely not the case for everybody, right? A lot of us are like, I will get out of bed when coffee is brought to me and it wakes me up. So we know if that's going on, that your cortisol is more than likely lower than it should be. And that's usually happened over time. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. 
your cortisol essentially hits that peak within that first um, 30 minutes to an hour in the morning after you get up. And then it starts to, to go down slowly, right? And so it should hit that high note and then start to go down. So um, you should still, you know, kind of have enough happening midday, but, but going down midday to get you through. And then at night, it should be at its lowest point because that's what's going to allow you to sleep. And it works in concert with melatonin. Your melatonin goes up as the sun goes down. This is the goal, right? Um, because melatonin is what's going to stimulate your, your sleep. So they're kind of equal and opposing hormones. So, of course, all going down and melatonin is going up. And so you can imagine that your melatonin should be at its lowest point first thing in the morning when your cortisol is highest. Again, this doesn't happen for everyone. And so that's something to really work on. And that's one of the first things that we focus on because sometimes people, I don't really often see people being at their lowest in the morning. That doesn't really happen, but like much lower than they should be. Um, and then maybe like zigzag a little bit, um, go higher in the afternoon than they should. Um, definitely high, higher at night. A lot of people are dealing, dealing with high cortisol in the evening. And we're going to talk about a way to um, switch that around because that's if you want to sleep, you got to get that cortisol down. You just can't sleep unless you're taking mad sleeping pills if you got that cortisol up. And sometimes people still can't get to sleep, even with the sleeping pills. So, okay, so we've talked about how um, the hypothalamus and the pituitary communicate with the adrenals. Um, another way of thinking about it is, you know, the way that they work. It's like, if you think about your toilet and the float in the toilet, right? If there's enough water, then it shuts off. If there's not enough water, it turns on. And so that's how that feedback loop happens with your hypothalamus, pituitary and adrenals. Enough, you know, adrenals are like enough and hypothalamus is like, cut the water off or cut the hormone off. Adrenals are like, eh, not, it's not happening. Hypothalamus is like, let's kick it up a notch. So hopefully that all makes sense. I um, like to tell a little bit of the science and also hopefully don't get too sciencey for people that are like, oh, Jesus, just tell me what to do. <laughs> so hopefully that was a decent balance. What is cortisol derived from? As all hormones, and this is something that I feel like most people don't know, um, is they all come from from cholesterol. So this idea that we don't need cholesterol or, um, you know, that cholesterol is a bad thing and not to say that you want high cholesterol at all. Um, there's usually a blood sugar issue going on though. When you have high cholesterol, it's not simply your body is being bad and making too much cholesterol. And we need, we need cholesterol to make our hormones, particularly Women in menopause, it's natural for the body to increase cholesterol production um, because of the ovaries shutting down. So it's not bad. Let's just put it that way. So cholesterol, all the sex hormones, and also cortisol, which is not considered a sex hormone, but is, you know, in a very deep connection, right? It's a stress hormone. So one of the other 
hormones that is producing the adrenals. So we talked about cortisol is producing the adrenals and adrenaline is producing the adrenals. But one of our sex hormones is producing the adrenals and that's DHEA. So DHEA is actually considered a precursor hormone. So that's basically where your estrogen and your testosterone are produced from. Um, so it's an upstream, what's sometimes turned, term, termed as an upstream hormone to the, the big guys, you know, estrogen and testosterone, but really you need DHEA for, uh, multiple things. And it's, it's a, um, kind of a traveling hormone. So it's producing the adrenals, but it travels around. Um, and so you can, you know, have your estrogen and your testosterone produced in the ovaries. And yes, we do as women have testosterone. It's very important in much smaller amounts than men. So, um, DHEA and cortisol are definitely not, you know, interlinked necessarily, but because they are both produced in the adrenals, we often see a correlation, right? So you can think of DHEA as a building hormone and you can think of cortisol as a kind of breaking down hormone. Um, cortisol is very, very important for our survival. You will not survive a, you know, stress without cortisol, but it starts to break the body down if it's going on for too long. We're not supposed to be having cortisol kind of going um, to the extent that we have it these days, you know, um, versus when we evolved, when cortisol would really just spike when we had some lion running after us, right? And now we have like 18 lions a day running after us between work and kids and et cetera, et cetera. So we're having these cortisol spikes consistently and that's gonna start to break your body down. And so often you'll see a correlation with higher cortisol and then lower DHEA. I see this on, on tests for clients all the time. And, um, it can also happen, though, honestly, that you can have low DHEA and low cortisol. A couple of different things going on here. So lower DHEA in situations um, really comes down to going back to the old hypothalamus and the pituitary in your brain because they're overseeing this whole situation, right? They're overseeing your cortisol production, but they're also overseeing your sex hormone production, your DHEA production. So when you're super consistently stressed, you, your hypothalamus is definitely just signaling your pituitary, pituitary signaling your adrenals to produce that cortisol. And this is important for you to survive. You won't survive without it. So what happens is they actually start down regulating your um, sex hormone production at that time. So there, for those of you that kind of are deeper into this and, and maybe know a little bit about hormone, um, you may have heard of something called the pregnenolone steel. It's also sometimes called the progesterone steel. So there was this idea that we kind of have a finite amount of material for producing hormones in our adrenals. And so when we're under stress and we need to produce that cortisol, the body um, essentially steals progesterone, which is also produced kind of in the same um, 
downstream effect um, as cortisol, it will basically steal progesterone to make more cortisol. So that's been proven false. Essentially, all of our hormones are made in, there's an, uh, they're made in the mitochondria. And there's an, like each individual hormone has its mitochondria that's it's made in. So it's not that there's not enough of that hormone. It's that it's being downregulated. The production of it is being downregulated or the release of it is being downregulated um, by the brain, essentially, because the brain is like, we are under serious stress here. Like we have, there's no, there's no time to have a baby. We don't need to produce a baby right now. We need to keep you alive. And so that's really what it's looking like. Again, it's not that we don't have enough of say progesterone. It's just where the brain's like, "Mm -mm, we're not releasing that. We're not focusing on that right now. So hopefully that helps people to understand that a little bit more. So same thing with DHEA down regulation of the release of that. Um, And there we are with people feeling tired, you know, not only from um, maybe in the case of lowered cortisol, but with lower DHEA, um, energy goes down a lot, particularly for women. They, they really feel that in their energy. There's lots of other ways that DHEA impacts us, um, skin, you know, um, uh, lots of good stuff, but energy is kind of uh, the big one. And then obviously other hormones being produced, the estrogen and testosterone, we need that DHEA. So, um, so yeah, so you can have the high cortisol and the low DHEA because your body's like, pump out the cortisol, your brain, excuse me, is like, pump out the cortisol, pump out the cortisol. And it's like, we're not focusing on producing or releasing DHEA right now. But you can also have low cortisol with low DHEA because essentially the brain at some point is like, we've been pumping out all this cortisol, the hypothalamus is like, we've been doing this thing and it's not stopping. It's still like code red. So this whole like releasing cortisol consistently is not working. We're going to try something else. We're going to lower that cortisol production. So here you come into a feedback loop where it's like, "Mm." the system's like, what we've been doing isn't working. So let's stop producing all this cortisol. And suddenly you have women that are suffering from really low cortisol. And in the past, this was called adrenal fatigue. Again, that's um, kind of misnomer and has been, I don't want to say proven wrong, but it's not that your body doesn't have enough cortisol in order to release. It's the same idea as, you know, these hormones like progesterone, like there's enough of that hormone. It's just the, uh, it's been downregulated or the release of it has been stopped by your brain because you're brain's like we've been trying and you haven't been listening and so this is what we're going to do this is when you know people struggle to get out of bed when it's like they've been going 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 and suddenly it is a crash where they can't do anything and this is what the low cortisol feels like alongside the low dhea so you know really i i went into this whole kind of long discussion because i want you to understand how important it is to take care of your adrenals when it comes to helping your sex hormone production because as i just kind of went through this whole long thing about if you are stressed consistently 
your hypothalamus and pituitary are going to focus on that stress hormone. I'm going to focus on cortisol and also adrenaline, but adrenaline's more that quick. Like I'm going to get in an accident. Oh my God, I'm going to hit this car in front of me and your heart starts, you know, pounding, but then it comes back down. Um, we don't tend to have as many of those situations in the day, though some people have more adrenaline junkies obviously have a lot, but cortisol is this big issue. Right. And that's what the focus of the brain is going to be, what the hypothalamus is going to be focusing on and not producing your sex hormones. And so you absolutely have to bring down stress in your life if you want to start to heal your sex hormones. If you want to start, you know, having your hypothalamus be like, all right, we're good enough to like really like get back on this train of releasing enough of the DHEA of producing enough of the estrogen and the progesterone and the testosterone. Um, so let's talk about making your adrenals happy. I hope that makes sense. Let me know if you have questions about any of that. And yeah, let's talk about what, what can help you in this situation. So this is a very, basic, right? And basic tends to be the hardest for everyone, including myself. We just kind of want that pill a lot of times, right? So we'll say, okay, what supplement do I need to take? Give me the supplement and I get it. Give me the 10 supplements, you know? And very often you do need, do need supplementation in um, this situation, it's particularly if you have low cortisol, um, you, you need something to boost that. And that can even be actual, um, you know, uh, glandular adrenal glandulars, but don't take that. Do not take that unless you absolutely know that you need it via testing because that can make things crazy out of whack and, um, don't let a practitioner give it to you without testing the hormones and monitor it very closely. So that's my little note on uh, a glandular. So it can be very, very helpful and needed in situations, but you want to make sure you need it before you do it. So it's our basics. Cause if you aren't doing these things, none of your adrenals are not going to heal your hypothalamus. As we realized that so much of this has to do with your hypothalamus. It's not your adrenals really that aren't doing well. It's just the, um, the feedback loop and the connection with your brain and your adrenals is like, mm -mm. that's what we're really focusing on a lot of the time, um, healing that and allowing your brain to say, Hey, we're not in danger. So we can focus on, um, on this sex hormone production. So here we go. Drum roll. Five things that are super important. Stay hydrated. Hey, so, I'm probably going to complain here for just a minute. There's so many things that come out nowadays and say, oh, you don't need the eight glasses of water a day. Oh, coffee is helping to hydrate you. Oh, this, oh, that. If you eat more vegetables, you don't need as much water. I see people chronically dehydrated. Um, I see this as a huge underlying issue for so many people. Um, I'm not saying you have to drink eight water, excuse me, eight glasses of water a day, but for a lot of people, they actually need more. Um, you also need electrolytes and that's part of the problem. 
particularly if you're drinking coffee. So coffee is not hydrating you, it's a diuretic. It's making you pee more, you're peeing out minerals, you're peeing out electrolytes. I'm not saying don't drink coffee, but you need to drink more water that has something in it if you're drinking coffee or caffeinated tea. Um, I even find with herbal tea, honestly, for me, it feel it kind of dehydrate, dehydrates me a bit. That's not necessarily true for everyone. They, you know, most people say that um, herbal teas are hydrating. So you have to figure out with your body. But I want you to really focus on getting good stuff in your water, which means anything from, like, I love putting lime. Like, I have a big jug of water in the fridge, right? And I put lime and mint and sometimes cucumbers in it because all of those are going to have natural electrolytes in it that are going to basically infuse your water, right? I also use trace minerals. I am a big fan of that because you get these little small minerals that can be hard to get, especially if you're not getting enough veggies in your diet. Um, and if you're doing reverse osmosis water, which I do, very important to get those. I didn't realize that in the beginning. I started having issues with my gums after about maybe a year of drinking reverse osmosis water. And I did some research and found out that that can be an issue that, um, because you have to think your gums and your teeth are, you know, they're mineralized. There's all, that's what's making your teeth is lots of minerals. And so when you take, when you drink reverse osmosis water, which removes everything, including the minerals naturally found in water, um, your it can begin to leach minerals from your body. So you want to add some trace minerals. Super easy. Get a bottle of trace minerals, liquids. It's usually a very small amount that you have to add to it. But even on top of that, I add lime, lemon, what have you. So it's great to drink on that all day. I'm like, as I'm talking right now, I'm like, mm, I want some of that that's in the fridge. Some people need more. Um, you know, most of you probably know that have listened that I had an ostomy for a while because of my surgery gone awry. And um, I learned during that time, wow, do you need electrolytes? If you are having loose stools a lot, you things are moving through your system really fast, right? And so you're probably not absorbing um, the electrolytes in the way that you need to. I had to do tons of electrolytes while I had an ostomy. So if you do have an ostomy and you're listening, especially an ileostomy, get your electrolyte packets, what have you, you know, um, containers full of electrolytes. There's plenty on Amazon. I personally like ones that are higher in potassium. Figure out your body though, because some people need more sodium. Um, but I do find that potassium tends to be an issue and talked about that in the past with um, another functional coach that I had on, Angie, we were talking about potassium and potassium broths and things like that getting your electrolytes in. Another option is adrenal cocktails, which is just a half teaspoon of cream of tartar, which is insanely high in potassium. It's crazy. You go to Whole Foods and you get like a thing of it for $2.99, right? And it's going to last you forever. And I think there's something like four or 500 milligrams of potassium in a half teaspoon. So if you do a full teaspoon, yeah, it's crazy. So super cheap. Do that half teaspoon of sea salt and then traditionally it goes in orange juice i think that's way too high sugar for most of us you could do maybe half orange juice half water i do it usually like with water maybe a little kombucha like just some kind of thing because it really doesn't i kind of like the cream of tartar taste so it doesn't bother me um if you need a little flavor you need a little flavor of you know a little sweetness but i really i don't recommend the oj 
unless you're just great with your blood sugar level, which is unfortunately nobody. So those are ways to keep hydrated and really focusing on that on the daily and making it a part of your, um, your thing that you do, you know, just making it part of your life. And the reason it's called an adrenal cocktail is because it supports your adrenals. So your adrenal part of your adrenal function is working with what's called the sodium potassium pump. So how much like sodium potassium you have in your kidneys. Um, and you know, a lot of times, I mean, think about it. When you go to the hospital, what's the first thing that they give to you when you go to the ER is an IV bag. What's in your IV bag, either just plain sodium or sodium and potassium and maybe a little bit of calcium because those are the things that you need for so much in your body to function properly, including your kidneys. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just such a huge, huge support to your adrenal function and, and making sure that you're feeling good and um, not, you know, supporting that cortisol to not be going crazy all the time. So hydrate. Yay. Two. Sleep, 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 sleep. I know it's been super tough for a lot of people to get enough sleep during quarantine, during COVID, because people are stressed, right? And that's like stress impacts our sleep. But sleep, I, I beg of you, sleep whenever you can and have the chance to I personally believe that our circadian rhythm calls for us to sleep midday, at least, at least take a 15 minute meditation nap or whatever you want to call it, you know, like power nap, or even if you're not sleeping at all, you're just meditating. Um, I was watching something on uh, Ben Greenfield's IG the other day, and he basically was talking about he naps every day. And I was like, yes, I want people to be talking about this more because I think it's um, this thing that especially women, we feel bad if we need to take a little nap or take a little lay down in the middle of the day. So we push through with coffee, coffee, right? And so we know that that negatively impacts our adrenal function. It basically makes you release cortisol when you drink caffeine. So, and also impacts your blood sugar and your insulin production. So it's not, it's not great to do, especially in the day, give your body a rest. And then nighttime, eight to nine hours. I know some people can do fine on less. I know some people say they do better on less. I would say the majority of women that I know, especially that have any hormonal issues, need more sleep. They need eight to nine hours of sleep. They struggle with that, especially as they head into perimenopause. I know I started having issues with, you know, sleeping through the night as I started to um, slide on into perimenopause. So there's lots of things that you can do to support your sleep. Um, one of my favorite supplements that's an adaptogen is called Seraphos. And it basically works on your hypothalamus. So here we go back to talking about the hypothalamus. It's really supportive to the hypothalamus. And that's the place that we want to be um, fully supported so that it you know, talks, talks in the way we want it to, to our adrenals, right? So, um, for some people taking Seraphos at night just helps them sleep through the night. For some people, they need to take it, you know, morning, uh, afternoon and evening. A lot of that can be determined via hormone tests, but if you can't do a hormone test, you know, try that at night. The other things that, um, I have seen work for myself or 
clients include um, uh, L-thionine, uh, taurine. I'm a big fan of that if I can't sleep. That kind of acts like a sleeping pill for me. Um, other adaptogenic herbs. There's definitely certain ones that are really um, wonderful. Rodalia is a great one. Um, uh, milky oats. There's a bunch of other ones. You can look for adaptogens and really get that to be a part of your nightly routine, but also setting up a nightly routine that includes, this is a really big one, get some blue blocking glasses, put them on at eight o'clock. I know it's a huge difference in my sleep when I actually get them on by eight o'clock and don't take them off, you know, and don't like go wash my face in the bright light. Um, do that. Get off your technology by nine. I know it sucks. I know it's hard. I know it feels impossible, but it is one of the biggest things impacting people's sleep is that they're still on technology. Even nine's pushing it, but I say to people, okay, nine. Okay. But if you actually want to try and sleep by like 10, 10, 30, 11, I mean, 10's the better, but you know, I, I'm reasonable. I understand that doesn't always happen. If you want to be asleep by 11, cut those things off at nine get a good book, get a good, like, I like, I don't want to call them trashy books because they're like, I like biographies personally, but for me, they're easy to read and they take me out of everything that's going on in the world. That's what I do at night before I go to bed instead of watching TV, which I used to. It takes time to really make that a habit, but it's going to change everything with your sleep. Cold room. I need to have an eye cover on me. So there's no light coming in. I need earplugs, all of these things. Like, I know it sounds like a little princess in the pea situation here, but you're going to notice a huge difference in your hormones when you start getting consistently good sleep and naps. I can't say enough about naps. So that's two. Stay hydrated was one. Sleep is two. Three, eat enough protein, eat enough good fats, and eat tons of veggies. Eat some fruit. Eat some gluten-free grains if you need to. Um, not everybody needs to. Not everybody's body works with it that well. Um, yeah, I people need to balance their blood sugar. It's huge when it comes to hormonal health. It's huge when it comes to your adrenal health. As I mentioned earlier, you know, cortisol is released with caffeine. It's released when you eat high-sugar diet. I mean, it. it yeah, the intricacies of um, how insulin and uh, cortisol are connected. It's just, you can't regulate your cortisol if you're not regulating your blood sugar. Get enough protein, get enough protein, get enough protein. A lot of people think they're getting enough protein and they aren't, especially the ladies. It's different for everybody, so I can't tell you exactly, you know, um, but... I find many people tend to feel much better if they get at least 75 grams of protein a day. And I know some of my people are listening and saying, that's crazy. That's way too much protein. I don't know what to tell you other than it's what works for a good majority of, of people. We have way, 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 way too many carbs in our diet. It's just the reality. And I'm not saying go low carb. I'm just saying you need a lot more protein. Um, and you need your carbs primarily to come from vegetables and some fruit. And then, you know, again, here and there, gluten-free grains. I'm not telling you to never get any, you know, I don't know, coconut chips or whatever. <laughs> There's so many things out there right now, you know, um, cassava, et cetera, but don't make those a big part. 
all of that is impacting your adrenal function and your cortisol and your hormones. Four, relax and de-stress. So I already talked about taking that, you know, 15 minute meditation nap, call it what you will in the middle of the afternoon. Um, that's what works for me and that, you know, something I've been doing for a long time, but figure out what works for you. Different things for different people, right? Like for some people, maybe like, okay, just reading some of a book midday, or maybe it's um, just doing some deep breathing, taking a walk in nature, um, getting acupuncture, you know, it doesn't matter, but that you are doing something in your day that's going to take you out of your brain being on, being in that, your sympathetic nervous system, which we're pretty much in it all day now. And it's going to take you from your sympathetic into your parasympathetic. Otherwise, nothing in your body is going to heal. Um, you're pushing your adrenal function constantly, right? It's just, that's what we were talking about in the beginning. Like we have cortisol going all day long and we're having these like bursts of cortisol when that's not what we're supposed to be having. We want that nice, even, you know, downward spiral of cortisol. And we're going, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> for those just listening, that, that was me like having my hands going up and down. Um, so really creating a break in your day where you are getting out of stress is essential. It's an essential function here. Okay. This is what you essentially, you're like an essential worker for yourself. You got to do it. Last, I wholeheartedly believe that you have to have something bigger than yourself that you believe in. It doesn't matter what that is. It is just something that allows you to see the bigger picture of life, especially right now, right? We're in tremendously complicated times. We're being pushed in every facet of life right now. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of, a ton of unknown. A ton of just triggers every single day. And without being able to step back and see some of this for what it is in the bigger scheme of things, which believing in something bigger is in my opinion, the only way that you will get there and connecting to that. So whatever that means to you, not shoving it down other people's throats, whatever your thing is, you know, um, but whatever works for you works for you and, and use it, use that tool. Um, absolutely necessary when it comes to healing your hormones. And within that context, I also believe mindset is huge. And I've just been doing a mindset lesson on Instagram, right? Like a series of mindset lessons that have worked for me. So if you want to check that out, you can go to my Instagram at Christine Garvin and look at what I've been talking about mindset. And it's just it's a little bit of a guide. It's not what you have to follow exactly, but what what's helped me, especially in healing my health in the two years since my horrible fibroid surgery accident and um, ensuing surgeries, right? Um, Mindset's key because your mind can take you down or it can lift you up. And it's something you have to work at every day. And I think it's part of this bigger picture thing. 
Okay, so those are the five things that are the basics of what you need to do to support your adrenal function. I went into a couple of specifics in there in terms of, you know, some, some supplementation. I'm not going to go into major things because a lot of the supplementation that I would recommend is based on testing. I don't like to recommend too many things. Um, I find like the Seraphos I recommended that works well for almost everyone. No one supplement works for everyone. So don't, if it doesn't work for you, don't come back at me, but it works for a whole lot of people. So that's why that's one that I will just kind of, you know, say, try, try it if you're struggling with sleep, but going over that one more time, staying hydrated, sleep, eating enough protein, good fats, and lots of veggies, relax and de-stress, and then believe in something bigger than you. So what's cool about this is not only is this going to help your adrenal function and your hypothalamus and pituitary, which is also talking to your ovaries, as I mentioned earlier, that's another axis that we'll talk about on a different day. But that, a lot of that's actually going to support your liver function and your gut function too. So this is part of this like feedback loop, right? A lot of what you do to support one of those areas of your body are going to support the other two areas and ultimately bring you to the kind of hormonal health that you want. So what is that? If you're like, what, what is good hormonal health? So I, for the first um, 15 years of having a period now, I started my period when I was 10. So the first like 20 years of having that period. I had extremely horrible cramps the first one to three days, usually day one and day two. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to have to go home from school because I'd be vomiting and it was just horrendous. My mom had it too. Like it's just definitely passed down genetically, but I wish I'd known at the time that it's not that simple, that there's so much more that I could have done. Um, changing my diet helped tremendously in my 30s and then starting to get some other things under control definitely helped but you know at this point I have I know when my period's coming because I have you know an app that I follow that and track it um but I don't feel like a little like twinge in my body like oh okay I think I'm gonna start either today or tomorrow um, but besides that I don't know my period's coming and when it does I may have like a cramp for a little while, but it's not even a cramp that I need to take ibuprofen for anymore. Sometimes I'll just be like, if it's the middle of the day, I'm like, oh, I'll just throw my heating pad on for 15 minutes and I feel fine. Sometimes I don't even have cramps. So that's incredible to me after for so many years. Like even in my 30s when things got better, I still had some cramps. It just went from I have to take an entire bottle of ibuprofen in two days to like taking like, I don't know, 10 or 15 or something, 10 in two days. Um, and now it's like, I don't even have to worry about having painkillers around or, um, anti-inflammatories around because I've been able to regulate my period to that extent. Um, you know, I mean, perfection is never really what we're going to achieve. So it, it's not like if that doesn't happen to you, that things are just whacked. But I absolutely believe that every woman has the possibility of getting through her cycle um, with a pretty regular cycle. Of course, in perimenopause, it's going to not be regular. 
and it's especially as you get further along in perimenopause, things are going to jump around and that's just natural. Um, but there's a lot of things that you can do to kind of um, minimize the pain that comes along with that. And then before perimenopause, it's absolutely possible to get to a point where your period is just a part of your life. I still think you should take time off when your period starts. I think you should um, give your body a break because it's working it's working hard, right? Your uterus is like shedding that lining. It's working hard, but you don't have to um, be like, oh God, what am I going to do for two days? Like, or more, right? For a lot of women, it's many days beforehand and then into their period. And then they start to feel better, maybe day three, day four. Some people don't feel better their whole time. It's possible. You need to work on your adrenals. You need to work on your liver health. You need to work on your gut health. Another thing that I'm crafting a little theory around that I'm going to talk about in a later episode, um, because I've just been, I don't know, it's just been hitting me intuitively. And then I found a few studies so far about it, um, is an underlying pathogenic component to things like fibroids and ovarian cysts, maybe more things. So I'll be talking about that more in the future. So stay tuned. Okay, so that's enough for today. I hope that that was helpful, not too overwhelming, and that you got something good out of it. Let me know. Send me, send me an email. Send me, uh, put a comment in the iTunes commenting area. <laughs> Leave a review if you um, enjoyed this. I really, really appreciate those because that's really what helps, you know, get this out to more women to help more women. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that you're listening. I'm happy that you're here. It, it, um, it's always amazing to me every week, just, you know, seeing the numbers of people who've listened and who've watched. And so I really appreciate you being here and I hope that it's helping you. So I'll see you next week with a new guest. <laughs>